0: Have your Bible with you today. Um, turn with me to the New Testament book of Matthew again. We'll be in Matthew chapter six, and we're going to pick up in verse twenty-five in just a moment. Matthew six twenty-five, and uh, today we're going to finish our look at Jesus' teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount about worry. Now, last week uh, we looked at four reasons Jesus gave for Christians not to worry, and today we're going to look at four more. And His teaching has been very plain and very practical, and they can really be summed up. Just two words. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now, don't worry, he said, first, because God will sustain what he's created. You remember, if he's done the greater, he'll do the lesser. And then he told us that we are valuable to God. Dirty said, don't worry, because worry doesn't do us any good. It it doesn't accomplish anything. We uh, put all this effort and and make ourselves miserable into it. And, uh, And... and then it doesn't do any good at the end. It doesn't accomplish anything. And the last thing we looked at last week out of Matthew chapter 6 was that uh, at its root, worry is really a faith issue. When you worry, it's because you're not trusting God. It's because you don't believe God's going to come through. You don't trust His power or His goodness. And so worry and anxiety is really a faith problem. So today what we're going to do is we're going to finish out what he says about worrying and stewing and being anxious. And like I said, he gives us four more reasons not Be anxious, not to worry. Now, if you found Matthew chapter 6, if you wouldn't mind standing as we um, read verse 25 and following, uh, Jesus begins by saying, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap. Together into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow; they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you? Now, Jesus starts out this passage, and he gives us reason number five not to worry. And reason number five not to worry is because worrying is really an unchristian thing to do. Worry is unchristian. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus says, don't worry about food, and don't worry about drink, and don't worry about the things that you're going to put on, because those are the things, if you look at, at verse 32, he says those are the things that the Gentiles seek. Now, remember, when he's talking about Gentiles, he's speaking of that great mass of humanity that doesn't know God. In the original context, of course, it meant somebody that's not a Jew, but uh, today it would be what we would call the heathen. Now, if we think about the heathen, we might think of uh, that that unreached people group who's never heard about Jesus. Uh, Maybe they're living in in the jungle somewhere. They've not had missionaries visit them, uh, something like that. And it does include them, but it doesn't just refer to them. It has a view here, people who do not have a relationship with God. So these are going to be our neighbors. These are going to be our co-workers. These are going to be our family members. These are unbelievers, people who do not know God. He says these are the people who seek after these things, about food and clothing and stuff like that. Now, why do they seek after these things? Why do they make that their highest goal? Well, very simply, because they don't know the Lord. And let me explain These are people who don't have the hope of heaven. These are people who don't have a relationship with a God in whom they can trust. These are people who see uh, this world and, and the things that we can touch, taste, smell, see. They think that this is all there is. Many of them don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe that there is anything beyond the grave. And so because of that, they think this world is all there is. Therefore, I need to get more of this stuff so that I can enjoy the time that I have. That's why they're so concerned about food and clothing and stuff like that. But listen, what we can observe with our eyes and our senses, that's not all that there is. As Christians, we know that there's a God in heaven who can do all things. We know that life is more than stuff. We know that that there's more to life than getting all we can and canning all we get. And what Jesus is saying here is that when we put our focus on things, instead of having an eternal view, uh, when we work hard to accumulate stuff, stuff and we seek after it, we're not living like a Christian. Why? Because we're living like somebody that doesn't know God. We're living like somebody that doesn't have a Heavenly Father. We're living like there's not, any, there's not an eternity after the grave. And Jesus says the Gentiles seek after those things, and when we worry, we're acting like an unsaved person who doesn't know God. Therefore, don't worry. But if you look in verse 32, he goes beyond that, and he gives us another reason not to worry, and that is God already knows what you need God knows what you need and what a wonderful thought that is that he knows what we need but why is that why should that uh, be a cure for our anxiety why should we not worry because of this well this should fight our anxiety because the God who loves us very much knows what we need but beyond that he acts accordingly see it's not enough just to know what we need you can know what somebody needs and not be able to do anything about it but God knows what we need, and He acts accordingly. And the longer I live, and I'm sure you've, um, this is probably an experience that you've had as well. The longer I live, the more amazed I am at the providence of God. Now that word providence has the idea of knowing something beforehand and then providing for it. And, and we we kind of get a glimpse of this because our fallible human, finite minds, we can foresee some things are going to happen, right? I mean, we talked about this at uh, Financial Peace University last week, uh, last Sunday night. We know the car's going to break down one of these days, and so we should prepare for that. We know eventually our appliances are going to wear out, so we need to prepare for that. And In that case, they talked about doing an emergency fund or whatever. We know one of these days our kids, our grandkids, uh, are probably going to try to go to college. So maybe we start putting away money uh, while they're still young. We know we're going to have to tell our spouse something that they're not going to like. So we make them a nice meal. We buy them flowers. We can see some things coming, and so we try to make provision for that. And And that's the idea that Jesus applies to God. God perfectly knows what we need. And He never says, Ooh, I didn't see that coming. He, doesn't, he never says, Whoops. I guess messed up on that. He doesn't do that. God knows what we need. And, and so, so not only does he know, but he knows before we do, and he knows better than we do, and he acts accordingly. Now notice here the title that he gives to God. He doesn't say, Almighty God knows what you need. Now he is Almighty God, but what's the title that he gives to the Lord? In verse 32, Heavenly Father. I think, that's very, I think that's very deliberate because he is telling us, he's reminding us that the one who can do all these things has an intense love like a parent for a child. And, and that's, that's what Jesus has in view. And what's so amazing about God's providence is he works all these things out and he'll start the ball rolling, you, you know, this thing that blindsides us and then this provision is made. Have you ever realized that that provision had to be started way back here before it got up to here? God starts all, starts all these things in motion before they, uh, bef- before they happen to us, and he does that on a global scale with his children. I've told this story before, but um, it's, it's one of the most interesting things. It, it, was, it really made an impression on me. When I was a teenager, uh, I, had, I had a vehicle. It wasn't a very good one, but I had a vehicle, and I had to pay for it. And uh, Well, the first one I had was even worse. But anyway, that's beside the point. So I had this vehicle. And I had pay for my gas, insurance, all that. And so insurance was due. Well, you know, you have like a certain window in which to get your payment in. And I didn't have the money to do it. I was in high school. And I got to the very last day that I could. And I was like 40 bucks short. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll just go and take what I have and give that to them. And I don't know what I'll do. I'll just, I don't know. Cast, my, cast myself upon the mercy of the benevolent insurance company. And so as I was leaving to go to the insurance office to pay my bill, I stopped at the mailbox, and I graduated sometime before. But I opened up the mailbox, and there was a card, and in that card was a was a check for $40. And my uncle, my aunt and uncle, who are always late with everything, said, sorry, this is late. And I said, brother, it is right on time. And so I went, cast my check, and it just worked out. Now, you know, the mail's not real fast. And so to meet my need here, it had to get started here. God has stuff in the works that we don't know anything about. And, and that's God's providence. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. God knows what we need before we need it better than we know what we need. And, and he's already making preparation for those things. Therefore, don't worry. Now, that's easier said than done, but that's what he says. The next thing he says in uh, verse 33 is we, we shouldn't worry because God will provide what we need when we're seeking the right things. God will provide what we need when we're seeking the right things. And on the surface, this seems kind of backward because Jesus does not say God will provide what you need when you're seeking the provision. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say if you will make it your life's goal to seek your provision, God will provide. He says, God will provide what you need when you're seeking his kingdom, when you're seeking something that seems totally unrelated. Now, that doesn't seem to make very good sense on the surface, but when you, when you think about it, it, it does make pretty good sense. See, the rabbis at the time, they taught that when you had the opportunity, you should seek the greater thing that had lesser things attached to it. I read this week or last week whenever it was about a man who found great favor in the sight of a king. And the king wanted to reward this man. He said, what do you want as a reward? I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. Well, the man wanted notoriety. And he wanted money. And he wanted prestige. And he wanted all these things. He wanted to live in the palace. He wanted all these all these great things. But he didn't just want one of them. He couldn't choose one or the other. He wanted all of them. So the man pondered for a little while, and he thought, and he thought. And the king asked him what he, how he could reward him. And he said, give me the hand of your daughter in marriage. So he went for the greater greater thing, and with all that, then you get the notoriety, you get the money, one day going to be king, going to have the palace. These lesser things came along as kind of like a package deal with the daughter. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We get a glimpse of this with Solomon. You remember in the book of 1 Kings, God comes to him and he says, Ask me anything you, anything you want. And Solomon says, I want to have wisdom. I want to have discernment so I can lead your people. And here's what God says to him in 1 Kings chapter 3. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will be there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. So he asked for the greater thing, and here's what God goes on to say. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. So he says, seek the higher and the better things, and these lesser things go along with it. And Jesus is saying here in verse 33, if we'll make the kingdom of God, and living and reflecting the righteousness of God in our daily lives, if we make that our priority, God will then in turn give us these lesser things, which in this case are the food and clothing and stuff like that. It's a package deal. Now before we move on, I want you to just, just make an observation here. They're seeking, but there's also the seeking that the Gentiles do. See, the Gentiles seek things. They, they seek stuff. But Christians should seek the kingdom of God. They should be involved in kingdom work in the in the church and beyond. And when you work for God, God will supply what you need. Now sometimes people say, oh, well, woe is me. Things are going terrible. God's not supplying what I need. I just wonder, what are you seeking? Are you seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness above all else? And that's something that even if our needs are being met, we need to ask ourselves, are you Am I, is any person who names the name of Christ, we need to ask ourselves, is God's kingdom our priority? Because if so, we don't have to worry about the necessities of life. The last thing he says in verse 34, he says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, Don't worry, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Again, we've all been guilty at some point or another of worrying about tomorrow. We'll wring our hands. Oh, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, oh, and we get ourselves all worked up. And maybe that thing that we're worried about happened, and maybe it didn't. But either way, our worry didn't help anything. And here's the thing about worry. Uh, Our worry doesn't change things. And even if the thing that we were worried about does happen, have you ever done this? Oh, I hope this doesn't happen. And then it happens. Then do you say, Oh, well, you know, I worried about that yesterday. Eh. No, we go, Oh, it's happened now. I just knew it would. And we worry about it some more, right? And that's so silly because what we're doing is we're doubling up on our worry. We're we're sealing t- tomorrow's clouds to cover today's sun. And Jesus says, Don't do that. Your worry's not going to change anything. Things are going to happen anyhow. And, and so don't worry about tomorrow. You need to worry about today. And in fact, you may not have tomorrow. You ever thought of that you can be worried about something, but you may be dead before it happens. That's I mean say, well don't talk about that in church pastor that's a fact. You know what we don't we don't know about tomorrow. We do have today though. that's what we need to be concerned about. And again, uh, I, well I read this statement that I really liked. It said, The farmer must sow in the autumn that he may reap in the summer, but there's no need for him to lie sleepless through the nights of winter worrying about the yet distant harvest. And I, I like that. You know, kind of struck, struck a chord. I grew up on the farm. Now, there's no need worrying about it. tomorrow. It's not going to help anything. There's an old country song. I'm sure you remember it. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. But you do know the words, I'm pretty sure. One day at a time. Who? We, Jesus is all that I'm asking of you. And as you work through that song and you look at the words of it, and there's asking for to help them focus on today, not to worry about tomorrow. And that's something we can all identify with because there's stuff going on in the world and there's stuff going on in our lives that are cause for concern. And I'm not minimizing those things. We should exercise wisdom and foresight. Jesus said be wise as serpent and harmless as doves unfortunately many Christians have that switched and they're as wise as doves and as, and as harmless as a serpent but you know what we should have wisdom and foresight but we shouldn't be afraid we shouldn't be anxious we shouldn't worry why because Jesus said if you worry that's unchristian that is an unchristian thing to do God knows what we need already. He's already got things in the work we don't know about. He's going to take care of us if if we're doing what He commands. And besides, tomorrow has enough stuff to worry about tomorrow. You need to worry about today's stuff today. And even then, don't worry. Exercise wisdom and foresight. Now, the invitation is much the same this week as it was last week. And that is, if you have a care... The Bible says, cast it upon the Lord. Put your faith in Him. You need to ask yourself some of these questions. Jesus said that if we're seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness, if that's our priority, that God would add all these things to us. He'll take care of us. So the question is, are you seeking God's kingdom first? Am I seeking God's kingdom first? Or am I making it kind of a secondary thing? Be involved in what God's doing. A lot of people say, well, I want to be involved in what God's doing. Where where is that going to happen? In the local church. That's where God is working. That's not the only place that He's working. But that's the center of of where where He's doing His stuff. Almost all the references to church in the Bible are the local body. That's where God is wanting you to be involved. Be involved in what God's doing. But above all, Jesus says, Don't worry. Don't worry. Now, I I said last week, still true, I'm a worrier sometimes. And I get all these scenarios in my mind and I shouldn't. But Jesus calls us to something better than that. He calls us something higher than that. To put our faith in God. Now, these words are directed to the Christian. You know what? The unsaved person does have something to worry about. And we say, oh, well, God's a God of love, and He is. But love and justice go hand in hand. And the Bible also says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And and maybe there's somebody who's hearing me today that's never uh, repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ. Today's the day to do that.